Welcome to the 5 o'clock show. It's time for common sense. Now, it's Cats and Cosby with John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby standing for truth, justice, and the American way. Bringing common sense to the world. Now, here's John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby. Well, it's TGIT. It is. Thank God it's Thursday. I was waiting for you to figure it out. TJIF, almost Friday. Uh, In the studio with us, we have a great uh, show again today. We have uh, Judge Richard Weinberg. We have Borough President Vito Fasella and Governor David Patterson. Uh, and uh, so many things are happening, uh, Rita. Well, where do we start? Well, by the way, it does feel like it's been such a busy week, John. I agree I with it's you. It's Friday already. No, I it's always going to say. Are you sure it's not Friday? I know what a week it is. Uh, by the way, uh, everybody talking about what Corinne Jean-Pierre, the White House press secretary, John, said just a little bit ago. Uh, reporters are asking tons of questions, of course, about the Hunter Biden plea deal that fell apart. And one of the reporters, and it wasn't a conservative reporter, it was a, a main, you know, one of the big networks asked her question. All right. Will basically would the president pardon his son? And this is interesting. She said no. She was definitive. She was hemming and, you know, hawing on other questions. But she came right out and said, no, he would not pardon his son. And that's making lots no, of headlines. No, no, he'll, he'll, you know, he, when, when his son goes away, he'll go to that ranch in Las Vegas. Which, what do you call that ranch with all the, uh, with the Betty Ford <laughs> ones or the, uh, or the other know. one? Oh, no, no, oh, no. There's oh, a name that comes to mind. Oh, oh, I, by the way, <laughs> by the way, true, true. I, I actually yes, was a bunny ranch. I was at the bunny the Bunny Ranch. Ranch. I have a real story. I've never been there. I uh, actually covered yeah. it when I was at Fox News or NBC. Actually, I, I spent a night at the Bunny Ranch as a journalist covering the story. And and it is a real business. Uh, I had, it was this was last night? No, no, oh, no. <laughs> this was a couple years ago. But I actually covered the Bunny Ranch, the owner, Dennis Hoff, and all the girls. And uh, all I got to say is they made big money. They were working that night. <laughs> I couldn't show what they were doing. This is this is a world I want to know nothing about. Yeah, boy, it was explosive. So yeah, so it was interesting to hear the the plea deal. Everybody asking about the plea deal. He'll be exiled to Las Vegas in that ranch. To the and he'll be and he'll be very happy. Um, The other thing too, John, the White House is now in total spin control. We're going to have Carl Rove coming on on the show later on, and the White House is like. No, he's a private citizen, Hunter Biden. He is a, you know, it's a personal issue. We're praying for him. You want to you you know, know something? Come on. It's very, it's very, very sad. It, it is sad. But you know what, John? If the money, all the money indications that we're seeing from the whistleblowers and the FBI informant, we got Devin Archer coming up on Monday to say it has almost nothing to do with anybody other than Hunter Biden is disingenuous. It's, Don't you think, Vito? Very, come very on. Sad. No, it's to John's point about being sad. For the last eight years, the American people have had to endure all this stuff around scandal and everything else as opposed to really what public service should be all about, just making life better for every American, and we just can't get there. And well, guess I, what, Vito? Guess what? Public service is also not doing pay for play, and that is the allegation. And Judge Weinberg, that is a serious allegation. We're going to find out on Monday if indeed Joe Biden was on the speaker phone and in meetings where there was actual, basically, policy done for millions upon millions of and dollars. Remember, the Constitution of the United States, when it talks about impeachment, has two crimes that you can be impeached for. 
They have a general. Yeah, tell us about them because obviously crimes, we know. High crimes and misdemeanors, but they specify two crimes. One is treason and one is bribery. That's your constitution. Is that what the constitution yep. says? Yeah, and that's bribery, a biggie. Bribery would cover it if yep. that were the case. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I understand one of our guests is on. Yep, we've got Congresswoman Kat Kamek from the oh, great... She's one feisty lady. Oh, she sure is. I love her from the great state of Florida. And Congresswoman, great to have you back on the show. You heard my thoughts. Where, where do you think, first off, I want to ask you a lot about border, uh, but where do you think all this is heading with Hunter Biden after the plea deal fell apart? Oh, well, uh, hopefully impeachment for his father. And we throw the book at him. The guy has a rap sheet that goes back to the year that I was born, for Pete's sakes. He got his first drug charge in 1988 and got a sweetheart deal. And they tried everything they could to make sure that the truth about him didn't come out. I'm so glad that all these pieces are starting to fall in place and the American people and the justice system are going to see exactly who he is and what he's all about. Let's throw the book at him because what we've seen is a two-tier justice system. That's got to stop. Let's make an example of him. Yeah, how, What do you think, uh, Devin Archer? I think this is going to be pivotal. I mean, the fact that the judge dropped the plea deal and basically I think pulled the, you know, pulled the curtains and said, hey, wait a minute, you guys seem to be working together, you Justice Department and Hunter Biden's team. This doesn't seem right. Um, I, I mean, that to me was a that was an extraordinary moment, Congresswoman Kamek. Absolutely. Think about the fact that the judge had to call back the number of the office that had called in pretending to be part of Chairman Jason Smith's team to withdraw the amicus brief that provided additional evidence of the wrongdoing and the, the obstruction into the investigation into Hunter Biden, because that was relevant to his sentencing. And when you find out that Hunter Biden's lawyers called in pretending to be part of the committee to withdraw the amicus brief tells everyone, not just the judge, not just not just people in, in inner circles in Washington, but the entire nation that they have a lot to hide and that they they are doing everything in their power to make sure that it doesn't come to light because they wouldn't be doing stupid stunts like that if they didn't have something to hide in that amicus brief. So Con- I think this is going to be pretty powerful coming out here in the next few weeks. Congresswoman, it's Judge Richard Weinberg. I, I agree with you. And let me make uh, a couple of points. Number one, this was never about just a legal resolution of an investigation. Okay? And number two, it was a political deal from the very beginning. The whole 100%. point the whole point of this is to shut down the investigation, to shut down the prosecution, to move it away from public scrutiny, and to have Hunter saying, well, I'm just a drug addict. That's my problem. That's what this is about. That's not what this is about. This is about an influence peddling scheme that goes internationally, involves a whole influence peddling by various members of the Biden family. I still want to know what the grandchildren did to get millions of dollars. I want to know what the uncles did. People are entitled to know this. And the real question is whether it impacted on presidential decision-making by this administration. And people are entitled to know that. Absolutely. And the reason why they don't want us to dig deeper is because the more that we uncover, the deeper and stronger the ties are to Joe Biden, which strengthens the case for impeachment because he is compromised. So and, uh, I think you're 100 percent right. And Congresswoman Kat Kamek, uh, Governor David Patterson, the former governor here, has a question. 
Uh, Congresswoman and, and Your Honor, I'd, I'd like both of you maybe to weigh in on this. Why did they set up the the whole plea deal so that the supervisor, basically, of whether or not a Hunter Biden was keeping his end was the judge? How could you do that? I mean, it's not even it's it's I can't even say what it is. Because, it's called a con. That's what it's called. Well, I mean, it's, it's, I, I it's mean, it's not allowed. You know, I mean, like, right, Congresswoman? No, I mean, honestly, say the quiet part out loud. It's a total con job. <laughs> you know, I mean, they walked in there thinking, and then suddenly the judge asked some basic questions like, wait a minute, and then Hunter Biden's team's like, oh, I no, thought, let's I thought I got Scott free. The night before, let the American people know what happened with the judge. So, and this is crazy. I was actually at dinner with Chairman Jason Smith and a couple of different senators. When this all happened, Chairman Smith got a call saying from his team saying someone called in pretending to be part of our team to withdraw the amicus brief from the 15 different whistleblowers that had come forward who had been part of the IRS investigation and they had submitted it to F for evidence. And Jason says, oh, my gosh, that, that's not true. That didn't happen. Call the judge back. So the judge gets they get in touch with the judge and, and say, we didn't withdraw it. And she says, well, then let's find out who did. Puts her team on it. They track the phone number that this person called from back to Hunter Biden's lawyers. Oh, my someone God. That's her, real yeah. amateurish. To, if you're going to call someone, call from a number. A, call from a black phone. Get the burner yeah. phone. The, yeah. bu- the burner phone. You, uh, you can't the, use a payphone like Gilgo the old Beach days. killer knew to, how to do that. <laughs> you know, by exactly. the way. Not, not exactly the brightest bulbs that we're dealing with here, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my. You know, Congresswoman, you just said something really interesting. You just said 15 whistleblowers. We're in the amicus uh, brief. Um, We know about Mm -hmm. the two whistleblowers. Who are the other 13? So that is something that is not under my purview and I can't weigh in on. But I will tell you, the amicus brief has all the evidence that really points to what is necessary to understand how far and wide this case is about to be broken. Because there are so many investigators who were told, look the other way, no, you can't have access to this, no, you can't, nope, you can't talk to this person. It's more than just two. Are they IRS or where, uh, you know, are they other IRS agents or who are they? Uh, Yeah, this came from the IRS. Um, But it's very telling because even the judge, and we we saw this in the sentencing as the, the, the plea deal fell apart, the judge asked multiple times, are there any other active investigations going on? And after them kind of beating around the bush, they finally said, yes. How can you get a sweetheart plea deal, period? When there's active investigations under investigation. going on. Right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Wow. And by the way, the other interesting part about a Congresswoman is they were giving blanket immunity. Blanket immunity. Yeah. So it wasn't just particular crimes for a particular period, but blanket immunity. That was the attempt to shut down all the influence peddling allegations, the failure to register as a foreign agent, and all the other scams that were going on. And not just protect Hunter, because that would connect the dots to his father, too. Exactly. Um, Vito exactly. Fasella, you've got a question. Staten Island Borough President. Yeah, Congresswoman, thanks. Uh, are the political sands shifting in Washington at all, or are the battle lines still uh, Republican and Democrat? Is, or do you see? Do you sense any movement? Well, and and John has heard me say this before. Uh, In Washington, it's never been Republican versus Democrat. It's always been the party of big government versus little government. And you have a lot of people who are really ingrained in the institution, 
we'll say. And you have a bunch of new people who have come in and said, this place is rotten to the core. This stinks. And that's where you have kind of the battle lines being drawn. Of the people who are very vocal, I think us coming out and talking about this, uh, it, it encourages others who have maybe been a little bit more timid or reserved to speak out. Uh, they don't want to rock the boat, so so to speak. But how can you ignore what's going on? You have a two-tier justice system. You have the weaponization of the federal government through the IRS, the DOJ, the FBI. Heck, even the USDA, the Department of Agriculture, is using its powers against Americans. It's crazy. And, you know, we start speaking out about this. It can't be ignored. And so you have a lot of vocal people uncovering this. And it's giving people who have been, like I said, a little bit more reserved, uh, a bit of courage, I'll say, to speak out. Yeah, but it's always yeah. been big government versus little government. And I think that's where the, the, the lines are being drawn. And uh, real quick, uh, before we let you go, uh, Congresswoman, I know we wanted to ask you about the border real quick. Speaking of stinks, yeah. uh, Mayorkas yesterday, boy, did he stink. Um, and there's now calls for him to be impeached by a number of people in your party. Uh, your thoughts yeah. about that real quick. I've been wanting to impeach Mayorkas. Uh, going back two years when he lied to my face in the Homeland Security Committee. And not only did we have a hearing on UFOs and have my orcas in yesterday in Homeland Security and, or I'm sorry, Judiciary, but in Energy and Commerce, Secretary Becerra, Health and Human Services, he came before my committee and told us that they cannot account for the 85,000 migrant children that they have lost. 360,000 unaccompanied children, and they've lost 85,000 of them. Horrible. Wow. Figure out where they are. Uh, wow. Horrible. Now, you're still in the UFO committee? No, I'm not. I'm not handling UFOs. Uh, there's enough weird people in Washington. I don't need to discover aliens on top of it. <laughs> <laughs> we agree. Congresswoman, you got to come back on. We love you. That, thank you very much, and we'll catch up again real soon. All right. Have a good one. You too. All right. Thank you so she much. She's terrific. She I is great. Her. I like that answer. About, yeah, wow. By the way, did you, in the UFO hearing yesterday, did you, uh, Gov, we were talking about this earlier. They came out and these are F-18 pilots. They said that there were pilots on these unidentified objects uh, that they found the remains of that are non-human uh, but basically, were they, you know, were they uh, Vulcan or Cleons? I, I'm not. Which which, uh, which episode <laughs> of Star Trek is that? Which one? But they said with a straight face, there is something there. So we'll have to get to the bottom of it. Well, I just <laughs> never let's understood take, why the let, government take, goes so far. Too. We're taking a break, and then we're coming back with Carl Rove and the the chaos at the White House. A common sense recap of the day's biggest stories. It's John Katz and Rita Cosby. Katz and Cosby on 77 WABC. And we are back here on Katz and Cosby. Uh, obviously, everybody talking about the Hunter Biden case and the White House in, is in like, what is it like mega spin cycle? I mean, you couldn't cringe on Pierre was like, I can't answer that. I can't answer that. I can't answer that. Uh, it is a mess. Let's go to Carl Rove, of course, former White House direct senior advisor, of course, to George W. Bush. Uh, Carl, your reaction. Did you hear just a little bit ago? Everybody's talking about this. Corinne John Pierre came out and was asked the question. Would President Biden pardon his son? Finally, at least at least reporters are asking questions about it. And she said, no, people were surprised she even answered that. I wasn't. Yeah, I I thought it was an interesting. I mean, talk about being in the pickle. Uh, She was there. Um, 
and you know she she had a stock answer to a lot of the questions which was I, i'm going to send you to the department of justice or to hunter's lawyers neither of whom are going to say anything uh but a couple of questions were hard for her to dodge you know uh question about uh, has the president changed his attitude about gun crimes having previously said uh we must uh, you know uh, prosecute any gun crime to the full extent of the law and uh no it uh th- this th- th- it, things got really bad yesterday for the biden white house and i don't see him getting better uh better soon what did you make of the fact now they're like parsing words um you know carl it's interesting because of course the president has said for years it's over and over again it's all on tape uh, during the debate, uh, during campaign, other stuff. Basically, I have never talked to my son about any of his business dealings. We created this wall. We never discussed business whatsoever. Now, Corinne Jean-Pierre is saying he was never formally in business with his son. And she still yeah. said she was asked about it today because reporters are going, wait a minute, that's very different. So so what do you think they're going to try to say? Well, there's no formal business contract. I, I mean, where is this headed? Well, well, look, this baloney, uh, you know, maybe he wasn't in business. Maybe he didn't get any money. But they started out with a bald-faced lie, which was that he never talked to his son. Well, I shouldn't say bald-faced lie. Maybe that's true. But it's worse if it's true. Hey, Carl, we're losing you. White House got him. Yeah, White House got him. He was just about they to shut say him something up. about Biden. <laughs> Carl, call us back. Sandbag. Yeah, he said he'll call us back. Yeah. Did you notice? Biden is a blank. Right. Whoops. <laughs> wow, the no, White House must have really... He'll come back in one second there, you guys. Wow. It's too bad. I always like Carl. <laughs> <laughs> Carl, Carl, we figured the White House got to you. You're back. <laughs> no, no, no. Look, look, look. Katz is a, is a smart business guy. But one thing he is, is he's a cheapskate. So he's got 1925 equipment. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, 1926. He's counting. He bought it at an estate sale, and he bought it. And literally, come on, man, you can afford modern equipment. That's how he's a smart businessman. We built a state-of-the-art studio and moved it from the combat zone of Two Penn Plaza to uh, the the east side of Manhattan. So it's a state-of-the-art studio. There we go. Well, let me go back to my rant. By the way, you missed. By the way, you missed it. The governor. The governor said. By the way, the governor said, "I really liked Carl." (laughs) I thought they'd taken you out, Carl. He's on the record. He is on the record now. Yeah. So in in January of 2014, Devin Archer joins the board of Barisma. In March, he brings his business partner aboard, Hunter Biden. Now, what do the two men have in common? They are linked into the power structure in Washington. Archer is the longtime political associate of the then sitting Secretary of State, John Kerry, and Hunter's the son of the sitting vice president, who, ironically enough, is involved in the leading the Obama administration's efforts to encourage Ukraine to crack down on corrupt enterprises and corrupt activities like those perpetuated by Burisma. Now, if Biden Sr., was not aware that his son was on the Burisma board. He certainly, at that point, he certainly was later on because when he goes to Ukraine in the fall of 2015 in order to encourage them to crack down on, on corruption, he gets publicly criticized by NGOs in, in Ukraine saying his son is on the board of a corrupt company. So, look, he ought to be talking to his son, and he ought to be saying to him, he should have been saying in 2014, 
what in the heck are you thinking? You're going on the board of a company that, that the U.S. government has identified as a corrupt company. You're getting paid vast sums of money. You don't know what the heck. You don't know anything about Ukraine, nothing about energy. You've never been involved in corporate governance. And this stinks. Get off the damn board before you embarrass me. But instead, they have this myth that somehow or another he would never talk to his son about his business arrangements. Well, maybe he should have because it was public knowledge. Yeah, everybody knew about it. Uh, Judge Weinberg, you yeah. got a question Carl, for Carl Rove. Carl, do you think uh, President Obama knew that uh, there were finagles going on with respect to the son and uh, his vice president? And therefore, I would not bet you a, I would look, I would bet you a dime to a dollar. That somebody, maybe Susan Rice, the national security advisor, I bet that someone was deputized to go talk to the vice president and say, you know, your son is involved in, in a bad activity. Get him out of there. And I bet you a dime to a dollar that the vice president of the United States said, keep your nose out of my family's business. I bet that happened. Wow. I, I don't know I, it. I, but I, that, I, that's what I would bet. I think you're more right than wrong. Vito, last, last word. I'll call Vito Fasella. Um, what's happening right now at the White House? What are they doing? What's the plan? What's the strategy? It's called sweating. <laughs> Perspiring. <laughs> I, I think you're right. I, look, they're in, they're, they're in a pickle, and it's going to be hard to get out. I, I bet you they're hoping against hope that somehow or another the U.S. attorney and Hunter's people can come to an agreement about a plea deal that can pass muster with the judge. The problem is, is that what what Hunter's lawyers want is a sweet deal. If if it were you or I who had lied on a federal background check to, while we were trying to purchase a, a dangerous handgun, uh, that we we'd be in the pokey. If if we hadn't paid our taxes year after year after year on on on, on each year over a million dollars in income, we we wouldn't be getting a slap on the wrist and, and a misdemeanor. They'd be treating us. That's one of the things that the whistleblower said. Is that this was first of all? Remember, this was slowed up so that he 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 didn't pay taxes on his Burisma income in 2014 and 2015. But this this took this investigation took so long that the statute of limitations ran out on on those on those offenses. Yeah, so surprise, getting, surprise, surprise. So he's getting he's getting free a free tax bill for 2014, 2015. I think maybe it's 2016 as well, but I may be wrong on that. But look, this is not going to go away quickly. Uh, it's going to continue to linger. And, and if there is truly a continuing investigation, we now have evidence from from other people, uh, you know, uh, the whistleblowers. We're going to have more information from Devin Archer. Yeah. And, and who knows exactly where this goes, but it ain't going to go anywhere good. Yeah, I Not agree. From the perspective of the Biden White House. Yeah, 1000 percent. Carl, you're terrific. Thank you for joining us here on Cats and Cosby. We love you, Carl Rove. <laughs> And I will pledge the first ten dollars to upgrade uh, the cats' equipment. <laughs> <laughs> you got to come. Yeah, by the way, you got to. Next time you're here, you got to come in studio. You gotta you'll come see to the studio, it. and you'll be you'll be here. You'll be here. You'll. It's like right. Star Trek. It's Do beautiful. Do I hear eleven State of the art. <laughs> Thank you, Carl. Thank you. We were talking, of course, about the legal aspects because where does this go from here? Joining us now here is Brett Tolman. Former U.S. attorney, also executive director of Right on Crime. Uh, you know, Brett, you spent time in the Justice Department. You know the deal. How unusual was this plea deal? And what's your reaction? Uh, do you feel like the Justice Department, it seemed to me that the Justice Department and the Hunter Biden team were sort of in cahoots, sort of co-conspirators almost? Thanks for having me on. I, I will tell you that uh, my first thought was uh, the arrogance and the the deception on both sides. And 
it's no coincidence that both sides were kind of caught in the deception. I think they probably did what we were warned as young federal prosecutors to never, ever, ever do. And that is to agree to something that you didn't put down in paper from the very beginning of your, your plea deal or your, your agreement with the other side. And, uh, you know, it's one of those rules that is just never violated by federal prosecutors because no good can ever come from it. But I think you had an agreement verbally, a wink and a nod as the deception. And then the arrogance comes in trying to push this past who they thought was going to be nothing but a, a rubber stamp, a federal judge, because they typically are. But you know, credit to her. Yeah, to credit to her, she stepped in. Yeah, you but know. she knew the whole world was watching. Yeah, and, and, and also she, the whole thing the night before too probably put a little bit of a bad taste. You know, Brett, I wanted to ask you, um, because you and I did a podcast, um, which we're going to put up tomorrow. I wanted you to share with our audience here on Cats and Cosby. You, you reminded me, um, of something, a blockbuster, uh, something about the tax returns tied to President Biden in 2017 with Big money, right? I mean, why this is so important? Because the White House keeps saying, oh, it's personal, the Democrats. It's just poor Hunter with his troubles. Um, kind of explain the connection. Well, thanks, Rita. I, you know, one of the things you do when, when I investigated these and prosecuted these cases is you do what's called the, the, the spoke and, and, and wheel analysis of a fraud. And that's where you try to connect all of the spokes in the hub of that wheel um, to, to a common objective. And, and, and here, we've been hearing a lot about this, this corruption and this pay-to-play scheme and, and the money that was coming in. Well, the bombshell, the big bombshell that's out here right now is you have, you have allegations from whistleblowers that $10 million, and, and you're going to hear it from, from Devin Archer, that 10%, you know, as much as maybe 50% went to the big guy. Um, you have $10 million that is being spoken of that has been uncovered in the House investigation. And lo and behold, in 2017, Joe Biden and his taxes, all of a sudden, who's been going from making a few hundred thousand dollars a year, has $10 million on his tax income that year. That is no coincidence when you're when you're looking at the evidence now where he can't explain it. It wasn't a sale of a, of a, of a property. It wasn't a, an advance uh, of any kind on, on, a, on a major blockbuster book deal. This was just cash that is unexplained that came into Joe Biden and he put it in his taxes just at the same time the whistleblowers are saying that uh, money was coming coming into Hunter Biden. By the way, uh, Judge Richard Weinberg's Judge, jaw is dropping. J- Judge Weinberg is saying, wow, wow, wow. If that doesn't connect all the dots, Brett, I don't know what does. Yeah, it really does. And and I think that's why you're seeing IRS agents and, a, and an FBI agent who, you know, like Judge Weinberg and I will tell you, we never hear of a, of a DOJ or an IRS or an FBI whistleblower coming forward. That yeah, That's just unheard of. But why is it happening here? Because I think that it's so offensive because they connected all those dots and they wanted and, to. And we got up. some new revelations. We always thought there was two whistleblowers. And Kat Comic, the congresswoman, was out with a few senators last night. Yeah, she just and said what 15. Did she, say? she just said 15. Isn't that amazing? Uh, she just was on the show earlier a few minutes ago, Brad, and she said to us there are 15. 
19 IRS whistleblowers. Uh, we know of two I, of I them publicly. That. Isn't that huge? And she said that they're contained in this brief uh, that Jason Smith, the chairman of the Ways and Means Committee, forwarded on. And remember, that was the whole thing with that hanky panky where uh, they said somebody pretended like they were part of the Jason Smith team. They ended up being part of the Hunter Biden team trying to pull uh, it. No wonder they wanted to pull it. That law firm, Latham, uh, Latham and Watkins. Watkins. Yep. That's a big firm. Yeah. I mean, wow. Don't, don't you think it influenced them, too, also, Brett? I do. I think that there's a there's a measure of, of arrogance and, 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 and belief that you can you can do this kind of thing because they've been getting away with this kind of brazenness. I, I, I mean, who who gets, um, you know, corrupt money and then puts it on their tax return? Only somebody that believes that they're not going to get questioned and they're not going to get, you know, nobody's going well, to. They obviously they learned the it. Al Capone. And and especially the fact that at that time he was talking about running against President Trump. So that was 2017. He was already thinking about it. That's a strange tax return to coincide with. No, no, but see, I don't think he was at that point because remember, it wasn't until really 2020 he kind of popped back up again. You know, I I I saw interviews with him way back where he said, I'm not sure I'm thinking about it, but. He he knew it was possible. Yeah, and you're right. He should have, uh, obviously, well, regardless, he shouldn't be uh, taking money if it turns out it's improper. We'll see where this goes. But this is this is explosive if it's $10 million. It must have uh, been for consulting. Yeah, it must have been. Must have been. By the way, uh, you know, I, by the way, you know, John. we got to take a hard break. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, uh, you know, John, one of our uh, advisors here on the show was showing us pictures of houses that uh, that. Biden was living in at the time. Uh, it's a, it's like a seven, eight million dollar house, cost twenty to twenty five thousand dollars rental on, on a senator's salary. Yeah, one hundred forty thousand. <laughs> right, right. Thank yeah. you, Brett. Thank you, Brett, for coming on. Thank and, you. Uh, we'll Thank catch you, up Brett. With you again soon. Let's Terrific, go to that Brett. break, and when we come back from the break, we with have Chris Rufo, a conservative activist, talking about how legalizing drugs is working out in Oregon and elsewhere. A uh, hint: not that well. You're commuting home with Katz and Cosby. Now, here's John Katz and and Rita Cosby on 77 WABC. And we are back here on Katz and Cosby. And joining us now is a well-known conservative activist. He also has a brand new book out, which he's going to talk about all of this. It is called America's Cultural Revolution, How the Radical Left Conquered Everything. And Chris Rufo joins us here on the show. Chris, uh, great to have you here. Obviously, you know, your topic on the book is so timely. You look at everything that's going on. Um, and one of the new headlines today is also that uh, Bud Light uh, is going to become a lot lighter. Apparently, they are firing a whole bunch of people uh, after the, I guess, the woke debacle is the nicest thing to say, Chris. Yeah, that's right. And and that's really good news. And what I think it shows more than anything is that when conservatives get organized, when conservatives put pressure on these companies that are foregrounding critical race theory or gender ideology, uh, we can actually have an influence. And it's not only important to, to punish Bud Light in this instance, but to create an example so that other CEOs that are facing these internal pressures um, can at least point and say, we don't want to be the next Bud Light. You know, I feel bad for, obviously, the people getting laid off. I'd like to know the people who made the decision for them not to be there, you know? I mean, it's it's like you said, it's really in the senior management level, too. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. And I hope that among those who have been laid off are all the decision makers behind their disastrous 
uh, kind of trans ideology campaign. Um, it, it, it certainly shows a lack of business judgment and, and a lack of political judgment. But conservatives should not let up. And, and while, of course, we can have sympathies for those who have uh, uh, been laid off, um, this is the tumultuous process of creative destruction that is the capitalist market. And so uh, we, we can't lose our nerve um, just because the headlines uh, are, are in, in some ways uh, unfortunate. You know, um, one of the things um, you talk about is also the impact of drugs um, in New York City. I don't think there's a single block where you don't smell marijuana. <laughs> um, I mean, it's it is crazy. Uh, Oregon legalizing drugs. How's that working out, Chris Rufo? Well, you know, I am actually a Pacific Northwest native. Uh, I'm in town to promote uh, my new book. But I can tell you uh, from Oregon and Seattle, Washington, uh, the experience of legalizing or decriminalizing drugs and public drug consumption is a total disaster. Uh, it degrades the quality of life for everyone. It creates uh, a terrible environment for families. And so um, I, I would counsel my all of my friends here in New York City, um, uh, go check out Seattle, check out Vancouver, Canada, check out Portland, Oregon, and be very sure uh, that you want to import that kind of policy here uh, Chris, in the Big Apple. Chris, it's, uh, it's Judge Richard Weinberg. Would you tell us the thesis of your book? You're saying that the, uh, the left has won the culture war. What does that mean? Sure. The, 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 the main thrust of the book is to document the radical left's 50-year-long march through the institutions, beginning in the tumultuous years uh, after 1968 and then culminating in 2020, when it appeared that the left's messages on, on critical race theory and gender theory had pervaded all of America's elite culture-shaping institutions. It debuted last week as the number one book bestseller on Amazon. It just hit wow, the New York congrats. Times bestseller list. Congrats. Wow. Congrats. Um, and so the book is really driving the narrative, not just among conservatives, but also making some of our friends on the center left think twice about the ideologies that they've empowered within their institutions. So how do we get back to the center, common sense center? Right? We, we, we have to first stand on principle. We have to advance policies that restrict uh, uh, the, the domination of, of uh, left-wing ideologies within our public institutions. And then we have to use uh, the great pressure of, of the market to, to tame and discipline companies that also want to push these ideologies. Um, but it starts with principle. It starts with good arguments. And I think it starts with knowing the history of this long march. That's exactly why I wrote the book. That's exactly why I hope all the listeners here uh, can pick up a copy. Well, everybody, check it out. Chris Rufo, again, the book is called uh, America's Cultural Revolution, How the Radical Left Conquered Everything. Uh, you got to come back on again soon. And congrats on the book. That's awesome. Thank you. And now, uh, Rita, we have, uh, you want to bring him in? We have the new uh, police commissioner at the NYPD, uh, uh, Mr. Kuban, Commissioner Kuban. And joining us now here on Cats and Cosby is Edward Caban. He is the brand new New York City Police Commissioner, the first Latino to hold that post. Commissioner Caban, we are so happy to have you here on the show. Congratulations. How's it going? Thank you very much. It's actually my honor to be on this show. I'm a big fan for a long, long time. Well, you know what? We're a big fan of you guys. I do, by the way, Back the Blue every night on my show at 10 o'clock. Uh, you know that John and I and everybody at, you know, at WABC on Cats and Cosby, we just love the police. What does it mean for you? You know, you rose through the ranks, um, really. And also you, you know, broke the glass ceiling there, becoming the first Latino. Obviously, it's such a huge, important population. What does this just mean for you personally and also your experience to bring you to this moment a very difficult time in New York City. Yeah, so it was an honor for me personally, 
I believe it's an honor for my family, an honor for my, the Hispanic community. Uh, my swearing in on Monday, I was able to walk down the stairs of four priests and look at my father, and I could see the tears in his eyes when he looked at me walking down, because he was so proud. He was a big factor in me getting to where I am as being part of a Hispanic president, New York City Transit Society, Hispanic Society. He fought for men and women like myself to get better assignments, to get better promotions. And now him being a cop, he gets to see his son be the top cop. It's a proud moment. That is so important for a father. And uh, and uh, he, the, the biggest challenge you have now is uh, uh, New York uh, with the new bail laws and everything like that. Uh, uh, is it working out? I mean, uh, uh, they supposedly got a little bit better, uh, but... Uh, uh, you tell us. Yeah, so obviously that's a policy question, and we'll leave the policy to the policymakers. But, you know, I look back and I can tell you that when we're concerned about recidivism, of course we are. Unfortunately, that drives a lot of our crime. There also has to be accountability and consequences for those individuals that really should be our collective focus. Police, courts, prosecutors, we have the elected officials. Everyone involved in our criminal justice system needs to play a part in that, John. Is it moving? Are the court systems moving forward uh, better? Yes, they are. They're moving on way better compared to a COVID era. Yeah, no question. And everybody, we're talking to the current New York City Police Commissioner, Edward Caban. You know, uh, Commissioner, also talk about how important it is to back our men and women in blue. Um, you know, there, there's been, I think... Obviously, uh, sometimes divisions, or, and but I always think how important it is to bridge that gap. And I feel like the commissioner plays such an important role for people of all communities to understand just the importance it is and how tough it is to be a police officer right now in New York City uh, and any major city across America. It's, it's very tough nowadays, but I think the men and women in this department understand that they have a mayor that supports them. They have a current police commission that supports them. The previous commissioner supported them. The people out in the street support them. You know, I walk across this communities and this city every single day, and the stories I hear from the people out on the street about how they want our cops out there, how they believe they're doing a good job, that's so important to men and women of our department. And, and what's the status? Uh, are you, uh, uh, at what level are you at? Are you, are you a 1,000 short, 2,000 short, and how, how long before they come in? So obviously we're always going to monitor attrition, but John, just take a good look at what we're doing. We're down in crime for the first time in years. We're down in subway crime. We're down in violence. Enforcement is up. The men and women of our department have taken 10,500 guns off this street in the last 18 months. And we've done that with less CCRBs. Let's stop questioning first. Those are the men and women I want on my department, John. You know, Eddie, what are some of the biggest um, priorities for you, Mr. Commissioner? The priorities is we're going to keep on moving forward, building on our successes. I just spoke about how we're down in crime, first time in years, subway crime being down, violence down, enforcement up. We're going to build on those successes moving forward. How do you make people feel safe, though? Because um, even if you talk about the numbers, there's been a lot of these random attacks, and people just don't feel safe. How do you change that perception and at least fix it so people do? Yeah, that's valid. 
you know, as an agency, we're never going to minimize the effect crime has on those impacted by it. But we also have to let everybody know this is the safest big city in America. The men and women's job are doing a remarkable job in driving down crime and violence. And I see that incredible work being done every day, which is why I got to push back against the suggestion that the city is overrun with crime. We're in a very different place than we were 18 months ago. Shootings, violence, driving our city down in crime. Today, shootings are down, violence down. Everything is down. Well, we are rooting for you uh, and rooting for New York City always. We, we, <laughs> we are definitely rooting for you. We are here for you, and we want New York City to be safe. Otherwise, the mass, the, the exodus that's, that has occurred the last 12 months, we don't want it to continue. I, we appreciate that. We appreciate all the support. I think the men and women really appreciate that. And that means a lot. Well, keep up the great work. And uh, I'm glad that your dad got to see your incredible success. What a beautiful story, too. Eddie sharing that, too, as well. Congratulations. Congratulations, uh, Commissioner. Thank you very much. Thank we'll you catch for up time. again. We'll catch up again real soon. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Vito, how much safer is Staten Island? Well, unfortunately, uh, they, some of, they excluded Staten Island. Yeah, again? no. Unfortunately, some of the major, uh, the, they call them the Big Seven, are up, and uh, there may be a reason why. But we need to tackle it because uh, the number one issue in Staten Island City has to be reducing crime and providing personal security. Yes, people and, want to feel safe, and that's it. There's nothing yeah. else that's more important. And as, until we get there, we need to keep pressure on those I, who I want know, to allow I it know, to happen. I know the commissioner a long time. He's He's a good guy, and I, I really hope he does a good job. Yeah, we're rooting too. for him. We're, we're rooting for him. Obviously, yep. we're rooting for New York. You know? Now, who do we have on now? Well, now we have Michael Goodwin, the Pulitzer Prize winning journalist, of course, the columnist there at New York Post. Um, Michael, uh, I, I have a million Hunter Biden questions I want to ask you, but I also want to ask you about this, the fact that uh, it looks like the parole board, uh, sadly, uh, has uh, said that they want to give parole to this guy who is a cop killer. Uh, I mean, what what is going on? Yeah, it it doesn't make any sense. I think that the um, I, I think you're talking about the Eddie Byrne uh, case, yep. uh, which was a you know a sensational wake up call to how bad the city had become that that the police themselves were not safe. Uh, he was, I think, guarding a potential witness or a witness's house who had been threatened and. They they killed the police officer who was doing the protection. Um, this was a horrible event in, in the annals of the city, and I think really galvanized a lot of public support for the police and was, was an emotional turning point for a lot of people. And you know what, Michael? I, I'm just going to say it. I think if you were a cop killer, you should never be paroled. I, I mean, what is going on with this parole board? Well, no, see, it I, wasn't just a cop killer. They were executioners. They executed that. Crime. Great point, John. Great point. Yes, yes. Yeah, I mean, they, he he didn't do anything to them. He didn't pull his gun or try to arrest them or anything like that. It wasn't a resisting arrest. They snuck up on him. Um, so yeah, it's it's it, it is beyond description what the parole board uh, intends to accomplish this way. I mean, it, uh, to me, it's just part of this overall sympathy for criminals as though they're all just misunderstood and it's society's fault. Society didn't take care of them. And therefore we have to, uh, 
we have to accept their flaws and treat them as though they're just like the rest of us. They're not just like the rest of us. He killed a police officer in the line of duty. He's not like the rest of us. Um, and yet this has now become the mentality of too many of the prosecutors. Yeah, the I agree. Who are supposed to stand, you know, and guard the public. They are now creating dangers for the public. Governor Patterson, your thoughts. So, Michael, uh, obviously he wasn't the one that fired the gun, but he was driving the car. If you are part of a felony, you're as responsible for anything anyone else in the felony does. So this whole idea that well, he was just driving a car, it means absolutely nothing. His penalty should be just as great as the people well, who were also convicted. Ex- Governor, it was an execution, and he knew there was going to be an execution. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, the, I mean, that... As you say, Governor, I mean, it just it it takes away any kind of mitigation that you might feel. I mean, his sentence was based on his actions, not not the actions of others. And so to treat him in some way as though, you know, he's a lesser criminal or he he serves his time. um, I you know, look, I I'm a believer in the death penalty. I, I think it's. It's a very uh, drastic decision, and you have to do it with care. But I think there are some people who have forfeited the right to live in civil society again. And keeping them locked up, um, we see too many of these cases where these, you know, sort of tear-jerking parole boards just want to release the criminals as though the public doesn't. Look, there has to be consequences for crime. No society can exist if there are not consequences for bad behavior. No school can exist if students are allowed to scream and shout and, you know, fall asleep. And no job can exist if workers, you know, misbehave. There's got to be some consequence in society for misbehavior. And by, by and, the way, Mike, too, I also want to tell everybody, Eddie Byrne, uh, this heroic NYPD cop, he was 22 uh, and he had only been on the force for just a month when he was ambushed by this killer, Scott Cobb, and three other accomplices while guarding the home of a witness, as John was saying, who was planning to testify against a drug kingpin. So this was cold-blooded execution, and and this is happening time and time again from this New York parole board. This is not a, a one-off, Vito Fasella. No, it's not, because we, in fact, coincidentally, we have a 25th anniversary of police officer Jerry Carter, who was assassinated uh, on Staten Island. And um, every time the, the killer comes up for parole, the family has to... They get all upset because they think the guy may be released. They have to relive it. They have to relive the horror. So I'm with you 100%. You know, uh, Michael, before we let you go, I want to also ask you about the Hunter Biden stuff. You wrote a really big column. Uh, Hunter Biden's plea implosion, a nail in the coffin of Joe Biden's campaign. Your thoughts about that? Well, look, uh, Joe Biden has been, you know, sucking wind for a time now. I mean, his age, I mean, his approval ratings, uh, particularly on the economy, you know, in the mid-30s. Um, so I, I think that he's a, he's a weak and, and widely seen as a failing, unpopular president. We, we know of his health issues. I mean, his mumbling and stumbling. Um, so I think that the Hunter Biden case is such a big deal. I mean, it got big media coverage everywhere. I think the even the media that's been trying to protect the Hunter Biden story from getting out to try to protect Joe Biden uh, had to cover what happened yesterday. And it was so 
such a, a scandal the way the agreement was written, the, this issue of whether he would get uh, immunity from other crimes. I mean, the whole IRS whistleblower testimony, one of whom has an op-ed in the journal today. I think this, the case just stinks to high heaven. And I think the more people know about this, the less viable Joe Biden becomes as a political candidate. And I, I have believed for some time that the odds of him running again were were not 100 percent, let's just say, that, that, that there was a very good chance he would not run. Now, time is running short, but I think what happened yesterday and what's going to continue to happen with this case now and what's going to happen with uh, the congressional hearings, I think that chances are greater now than ever that he will say, I will not run for a second term. Wow. What do you think about also um, impeachment? Because there's discussions about impeachment inquiry a lot now after yesterday's plea deal. Michael Goodwin, real quick. Yes, I think the inquiry is the way to go. Now, that doesn't mean you're committed to a vote. You don't draw up the articles, but you hold hearings and you probably create a select committee uh, and focus your resources there. And it becomes the main driver of this story. Yeah, I agree. One thousand percent. Well, Michael Goodwin, thank you so much for joining us here. Uh, We really appreciate your perspective so much. Thanks, Michael. Thank you, Michael. My pleasure. Thank you all. Wow. And by the way, uh, what a show. What a show. And we're waiting to see what happens with the Trump uh, potential indictment. Uh, This word, another one may be coming any day, John. Wow. What friends told me in Washington was uh, when the the White House told the the special prosecutor, you better go out and... uh, Get that prosecution faster. Wow. Because yeah, another Trump indictment takes the Biden story. Takes, off the it, front off the takes it off the No politics Very there, sad. right? How Very sad, sad is American justice, John? Very wow. Sad. Well, let's hope, let's pray for truth, justice, justice and, and the American, American way. way. God bless America. I really pray for that. <laughs>